For what? <laughs> thank, I mean, thank you. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter chapter seven. Yeah, seven. Second Chronicles chapter seven. I hear a buzz. Is there uh, is a fan off out there? There's a buzz. Kids, kids, you go that way. Go. Yeah, it'll leave it. No time to. There's no time. Second uh, Chronicles chapter seven. Uh, let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for the time we have to uh, hear His Word and to be enlightened by His Word, which is always a great privilege to um, honor Him. Also, learn of Him. And so, with that, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for this time we have to hear Your Word, to be instructed in the things that are that make for righteousness, for Your wisdom, knowledge, that leads to holiness. We... We're so grateful for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and for all that He has done for us, for your love that has sent Him. And there is something wrong with the sound system. And uh, we just are grateful, Father, for all that you have done and do. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Um, I have a feeling something's going to be wrong here. So we're going to pause just for a second. I do. Test one, two, test. Oh, huh. we're back. Uh, let's see. All right, we have begun. So um, we continue to talk about uh, prayer uh, today. We want to look at uh, when we want to look at the aspect of praying continually. And by that, we at least mean daily. Um, and But what we really mean, I think the Scriptures bear 
this truth. The Bible doesn't come right out and tell us how often to pray or how, for how long. Uh, I think a, the healthiest way to look at it is that prayer is a lifelong conversation with God and is that healthy, like a healthy conversation, meaning frequent enough. And, and that would mean maybe, you know, one day you prayed to him like a whole lot and the next day not so much. It doesn't have to be the same amount every day. We're not told that. Uh, but that it is an, an aspect of uh, I have a continuous communication with my father in life. And that means I pray as, you know, as often as need be, which we find as we grow in grace and knowledge and, and get to know him more that we're going to want to do that more often. Uh, and so as we discover more about God, we will find ourselves wanting to pray more, like really enjoying prayer rather than it being uh, burdensome or uh, confusing. Uh, when, Like with anything, as you get uh, to know someone, talking with them becomes easier and uh, communication becomes easier. As we've emphasized in a few classes, that uh, the content of our prayer has to be from the Word of God, not the exact words, but from the content of truth within the boundaries of truth, because that's how God speaks to us, is through His Word. Uh, as we learn more about Him, we would therefore want to pray more often, be more comfortable in prayer, be more confident, uh, and expect more, actually, from God. Um, because we've come to know him. But the question that I pose to us today is, should we wait for that day? Should we wait to pray until, you know, for instance, that we feel like it? Uh, when Paul tells us in um, Ephesians 6.17 that we should pray continually, and he doesn't say pray continually when either you feel like it or when you mature in Christ. He just tells us all to pray continually. So, should we only pray when we feel like it or when we feel inspired? And the obvious answer to this is no, and for a couple of reasons. First is habit. Uh, habits are either make for good behavior or bad behavior. We all are old enough to know this. Uh, developing the attitude by faith that I need to pray at least daily and also likely several times a day as needed. And that would include both your inner room as what Jesus speaks to us about in Matthew 6, that uh, go into your inner room and pray to your Father in secret and he'll reward you. That is a, you know, if, if you are going into your inner room, I mean a place of privacy, that that generally would mean to us a predetermined time set aside to pray to God. And there's that. And I, I, I'm a hearty believer that that should be every day. But there's also the spontaneous signal flares that we send up to God. Uh, the signal flare prayer from anywhere. I coined that today. <clears throat> I just started writing it out and I'm like, hey, they all run. Signal flare prayer from anywhere. It would be a 10-minute, 5-minute prayer, 1-minute prayer in, in which um, I, I have used these a lot more than I ever have. Uh, I wonder if I ever actually used them in, with any, in any consistent manner in the past. Before 
this uh, doctrine we're doing now, like before I'm, before I'm about to hit a certain situation, if I know generally my, my mind doesn't either want to do this or uh, I'm, you know, I usually fall into a negative uh, kind of attitude when I approach this person or this situation, I'm throwing up those prayers. And I'm like, God, make, show me how to make my heart right. And it is amazing how this has worked for me. Uh, not every time, because I think probably sometimes I don't listen to whatever he's telling me. But, you know, <clears throat> sometimes we just go through the motions and say things without the real desire to do them. But <clears throat> if you really desire, if you, look, if you desire to have the right mindset in everything, a godly, divine mindset, and it is... It would seem, as what prayer would reveal to us here, that God, in many instances, is waiting for us to ask him. Right? It is stated. It seems, right, we seem to think of it like, well, God has omniscience. He knows what we need. He knows what we're going to do. He has decreed things. And so what is the point of asking? Well, if that's true, then prayer doesn't is meaningless. <coughs> Uh, as you know, as it is stated in the scripture, uh, you have not because you ask not, and and therefore you know God is revealing to us, and 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 this it wouldn't at all be that God is saying, well, you know, I'm not going to do good for you unless you ask me to. So he, he's just kind of some uh, egotistical, um, non-loving tyrant. Uh, but that's not the case. It's what does he want from us to seek him with all of our heart? And when we're asking for asking for his help in prayer, we're asking for his guidance, we're seeking him. We're drawing ourselves to him, and that's what he wants for us. Because when we don't do that, we draw into ourselves. And then that's what you get. You get yourself in a situation or in your own thinking, and we know how that turns out. It's usually not good. So uh, when we develop the attitude by faith that we need to pray daily, again, several times a day when necessary, we develop first off, I have two things here. First off, the habit of prayer. Good behavior uh, from good thinking is built on good habits. We all know this. Good behavior from good thinking is built on good habits. And a habit... Is something that we do consistently whether we feel like it or not. And like uh, I, I think of taking care of your teeth. You know, it's a, it's a habit. You develop it. I, I, I never flossed my whole life, and I have the teeth to show it. But um, <clears throat> I, I, was, I was getting my teeth cleaned, and the hygienist said to me in a very matter-of-fact voice, this is probably going back like two years now, uh, she said, you know, you should floss. And she said it just like that. And for some reason, I was like, okay. I started flossing that day, and I, I, I never stopped. And, and my gums are way better than they used to be. Uh, you know, why didn't I do that before? You know, like, whatever. So, uh, but, of course, prayer is something far more important than healthy teeth. Uh, this habit of prayer forms the consistency of seeking God. That's what it is. And... And the second thing that we get from this is the understanding that we can seek God no matter what's going on. Good day, bad day. 
A day that is, I think every day has sin in it for each of us. I don't think there's one sinless day amongst the believer. That's my opinion. But <clears throat> uh, days that are more sinful than others, we don't draw near to God in those days. Bad circumstances, sicknesses, want, depression, pain. Do we go to God when we're depressed, when we're in want, when we're in pain? We often don't. But if we've developed the habit of prayer, we've developed the, ha- uh, the understanding over time that God is always there and always near, even at times when he feels we feel like he's not. Always. The door is open. Always the Father is hearing. Always can we pray. And when we have developed this attitude, then we develop a heart to pray. And a heart to pray, which is in essence seeking God. No matter what the prayer is, even if it's an intercession for someone else, someone else's sickness or problem, you're seeking God. You're seeking his favor for them. You're seeking him. And in every type of prayer, we're seeking him. And uh, to develop that habit is is a wonderfully good thing. Now, there could be several reasons why God doesn't seem near, uh, though he always is, or that he seems he's not paying attention, or that he's out of our lives. There's, I think there's generally that comes over us after time, there's a, a, a legitimate feeling of God not being around. And of course he is, he's omnipresent. But we don't feel like he's around. And that's because our thinking, in this case, it's because our thinking has gone astray into sinful areas. So that's why we're in Second Chronicles 7. In Second Chronicles 7, Solomon has built, finished building the grand temple. This Solomon's temple would have, which if it survived, would have been, as most people think, the eighth wonder of the world, was the most magnificent of temples, uh, I would think, probably that ever has been built. And <clears throat> Solomon has finally finished it. And the glory of the Lord fills the building. Uh, and so in verse 11, thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name, by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place, in the temple. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Uh, and Isaiah would write, um, uh, which was after this time, not long after this time, that this place was a house of prayer. And the Lord would reiterate that when he cleansed the temple from the money changers. He said, don't desecrate this place. This is a house of prayer, quoting Isaiah. And so uh, God shows here that this house is linked to prayer. And therefore, prayer is not some 
sideshow to our spiritual lives, some extra thing that, you know, if we get around to it, it's great. It's an integral part of our spiritual lives. It's an integral part of the temple that was Solomon's temple back in the Old Testament. But it's also an integral part, as we see here, we see in many passages, as well as in many Psalms, that prayer is seeking God. And if we, you know, the point of our whole spiritual existence is seeking God. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. That's when, when we left Ephesians, that's where we started, that the Holy Spirit is given to us to reveal to us the Son. And if we see the Son, we see the Father. And if we see them, we see their glory, and that glory infects us to, to be. You know, that, that's exactly what uh, guides and motivates and empowers us. Is seeing that glory is what empowers us to live the way that God would desire us to live and therefore please him by which we would be in our lives extremely blessed. But so uh, <clears throat> notice also that God says, if I shut up the heavens, there's no rain in verse 13. If I command the locusts to devour the land, pestilence among my people. And in this case, this discipline that would come upon Israel is very much like the discipline that would come upon our soul. You know, where the 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 effects of sin, the effects of uh, seeking things from error, error in our thinking, the effects of looking at the wrong things in life for a period of time. And it, you begin to feel like someone who has no rain, like a land without rain. You feel dried up spiritually. Uh, you feel like locusts are devouring you. It's kind of like an inner pain, an inner misery. And then he says pestilence, which is the same. It's famine. Like in our own souls, in our own hearts, we're starving, we're thirsty. And that is because what? Well, in this case, it's because of sin. Uh, we're all sinners, and uh, we're all going to sin. But this is, of course, this is a, a habit of choosing to do things that cause us to, uh, uh, to lack the presence, or really, it's not that we don't have the presence of God in our lives, it's just that we're not looking. We're looking at something else. And we'll, we're going to return to the, we won't turn back here, but we'll reference this passage again later. So, prayer is about us discovering God and the reality of his presence in our day-to-day lives. And in any kind of prayer that we pray, it is just that. We're seeking him. If we're adoring him, if we're thanking him, if we're asking for ourselves for anything, we're seeking him. If we have the attitude of like, God, you know, I don't really care who you are or what you're about. I just want this stuff. Then that's not... I mean, technically you're praying, but that's not really legitimate. Is God hearing you? Of course he is. But it's not a real conversation. You know, To talk to God about unrighteous, selfish things is to not talk to him in the realm of his truth. And therefore, yes, he hears you, but it's not a real conversation with him. It's not a real back and forth with him. So, uh, go to Jeremiah 29. We're here Sunday. I want to reiterate this one as well. It wasn't just a belief in God that motivated prayer, but a desire to know and understand Him. So, as God says, you know, if 
there are times when we have, it's not because of our sin that God doesn't feel near. You know, it could be uh, that God is testing us. He's testing our faith, and it's an undeserved kind of thing. We'll see that if we get that far. It's a psalm, uh, in, in a number of psalms. The uh, I've got it open right in front of me where in Psalm 13, David writes, How long, Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? And so we wonder, you know, when in David's life would that have happened? But we know that David for 10 years was roaming around in the wilderness being chased by Saul. And at times he was completely alone. And it didn't, and he, look, he was already anointed king years before by Samuel. And yet David is not on the throne of Israel. And he's running from uh, a man that he only treated well and loved. And this man, who is a jealous, selfish man, King Saul, is trying to find David and kill him. And David's on the run. And oftentimes, uh, in, in exposure, in the wilderness, and, and without anybody with him. And he's like, how long, Lord? Now, if the Lord ran down, he said, ten years. But thank God that God doesn't do that to us. You know, we'd like to hear tomorrow. How long? Well, you know, I'll set you up tomorrow. That'd be great. But how long is it going to be? And we don't know. And <clears throat> David was being prepared by God. You know, already anointed king, but was he strong enough to be king? Was he mature enough to be king? And, you know, it would seem from the circumstances that he hadn't been yet. And so God left him to suffer. God tested him. And that testing was a test that David could pass. And God knew that. You know, so as the Bible says, and we're going to get to this today, that God doesn't test us beyond what we're able. So what does that mean? God's not going to test us until we're strong enough. Right? So if you wanted to test someone to make them fail, you would make sure that they weren't strong enough to pass the test, and then you'd give it to them. And, and you'd sit there, can't wait until I see you fall flat on your face and you fail it. But God doesn't do that. God waits until we're strong enough. And then when we're strong enough and sufficient, he gives us the test so that we can pass. And by passing, we see strength in ourselves. We see strength in God that is given to us. And we rejoice in that strength. It's a very joyous thing. Why? Because God is for us, not against us. <clears throat> And so he says this here too. Let's uh, quickly look at Jeremiah 29:11. He says, "For I know the plans that I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me." So. In the first passage we read in Chronicles and the passage here in Jeremiah, which is written later, uh, <clears throat> in prayer we see seeking and finding. Right? Back in Chronicles it was, my people will call on my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Right? And so here we have it too. When they pray, you will seek me, find me when you search for me with all your heart. This passage is very often quoted. And the part on prayer that's in verse 12 is often not attached to it, which is a shame because in prayer we are seeking him. Not, I mean, not only in prayer, when we're studying his word like we're doing now, we're seeking him. 
But in prayer, we are one-on-one seeking God. And in no matter what we pray for, we're seeking Him. So when you search for me with all your heart, he said, you'll find me. And then he says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations. Which is a promise to Israel that though they are dispersed, uh, they will be brought home and the covenants will be fulfilled. So every kind of prayer, and if you think this through, it actually... We also find that in every kind of prayer uh, will be attached or in some way to the Lord's Prayer, which we'll turn to now. Uh, Every kind of prayer, whether it's adoration, thanksgiving, confession, intercession, petition, it depends on how uh, detailed you want to break down the categories of prayer. You run through the prayers of the Psalms and find more. There's, There's prayers of arguing with God. You know, that could... You know, I kind of like those, even though it's probably not legit, but it's it's human. You know, it's very real, and it could almost get its own category. There's prayers for the destruction of your enemies. They, they're actually called imprecatory prayers. It's a fancy way of saying, God, destroy my enemies. I know, they're there. They're all over there. There's many of them. Uh, and so we say, you know, is that legit for God to, to destroy my enemies? Well... You know, in the framework of God's will, I could see a legitimate reason for that. Um, but destroy them how? That's another thing, you know. Uh, <clears throat> do you want your enemies to find God? You know, do you want your enemies to find the gospel? And in certain cases, that may take pain. You know, I don't, you'd have to figure that out for yourself, I guess. But uh, every kind of prayer are seeking God. Every one of them. If you're praying for whatever you're praying for, you're seeking his favor. If you're seeking his favor and his gifts, you're seeking him. And we will find out here that in all our seeking, what are we after? You know, what what is it truly that God wants us to have? And that's why um, you know, we were talking about this in, in class today, in Greek class, that I forget what passage we were on, but you know the, the the I think it was the spiritual gifts, and there was a spiritual gift of healing in the early church. And the question was, was is that gift around today? We were talking about that in one passage, and you know, uh, and it's always tossed around that uh, you know is is healing legitimate today? And it depends on what denomination you're in. And so most of us of the, you know, the the evangelical world, which don't really associate too much with the Pentecostal world. The Pentecostals are those who have held on to these uh, miraculous gifts or kind of resurrected them, really, because Pentecostals have only been around since the turn of the uh, the 20th century. That... um, You know, generally the evangelical case is that, you know, God does heal today. But there's no healers. There's no human beings who can go around touching people and healing them. I think Benny Hinn has made himself a millionaire doing this. But, um, okay, yeah, so God can heal. But does he always do it? I mean, I I know that someone told me today that they had been in a, a situation where the whole church prayed and prayed and a miraculous thing happened to someone. Like a, something like a cancer had disappeared or 
gone into remission. And we say, well, you know, maybe it was coincidence. Maybe God intervened. There's no way we can know. But we know that God will answer prayer. But at times he'll say no to particular prayers. Because there's nothing in here that says pray for healing and I'll do it. Not healing. Jesus says, ask my Father and you in my name and you will receive it. And some have interpreted that to mean that as long as you say in Jesus' name, that's like a little, uh, like a magical word phrase. That as long as you attach that on there, God has to do whatever you want. And uh, however they came up with that doctrine, I, I mean, I know it's going to be appealing to some, but that is absolutely stupid. To say that I'm going to say a little couple words and now the Father is my slave. I mean, come on, you'd have to be a moron to believe that. So, and if you have believed that, I, I apologize. Actually, I don't. Uh, <laughs> so God will intervene and heal sometimes. Sometimes he won't. Um, okay. So we ask ourselves there, is God being unfair? Heck no, we're all going to die anyway. Right? We're all going to die. Y- you can't keep praying for, you know, there's Uncle Arnie over there. He's 250 years old because we keep praying for him. <laughs> right? He's been cured of cancer, diabetes. He's been cured of all of this stuff. He's just still kicking it. Arnie's saying, please stop praying for me. I don't want to die. I'm so old. We're all going to die. Is that what God wants for us? I mean, ultimately, is to be healthy. Now, sure, I mean it to a certain extent, but, but you know, no, not essentially. What does he want for us? Is to see him. That's what he wants for us. That ultimately, what God wants for us is to seek him and find him. So you're standing in his presence, and you know it. And you can actually at times truly feel it. So, uh, look at Luke 11. We're going to use Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer. Luke 11, verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say. All right, so uh, here I put this on the board so you can see it. The Greek word. It's a command. It's legate. It's a really common word in the New Testament. Lego. Lego means to I say or I speak. That's all it means. It's used hundreds of times. And here he says, when you pray, say. He doesn't say, say something like this. Say, even in Matthew's gospel, it doesn't say that either. But he says, say. In other words, we would say, this is what he wants us to say. Uh, some would say, well, you know, all that would mean is you just keep saying these words over and over. And, of course, you could say that, but if you're saying these words over and over and you don't care what they mean, then I, I would say you, you, mean, you might as well just keep reading the Bible over and over and not care what it means. 
I mean, obviously, we must care what it means. And we find out that when we care what he says here, that every prayer that is legit, you know, in the boundaries of God's word, every prayer we could utter to God fits in here somewhere. It's, it's incredible. I've tested this over and over. And there's nothing you could legitimately pray to God that's not addressed in this prayer. So it's like Christ gave us this short little skeleton to keep us focused. And then we attach to it. But as long as we're attached and not somewhere else. And it keeps you grounded. So uh, Matthew's account is longer. So we'll just mix them together a little bit. So Luke here writes, Father... Hallowed be your name in Luke. I'm sorry, in Matthew, it's Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Uh, hallowed means sanctified. And every one of these petitions is a command. I still am amazed at that. Everything. So the command, hallowed be your name, is like we're commanding God to make his name holy. Uh, and I'm not going to go into this too much because we're going to spend a number of classes just tearing this prayer apart. But. Um, you know, it means God's name is holy. It, you know, what does holy mean, and is it holy to me? And, you know, that, that comes here, that comes from this. And that to call him Father takes into account all that Christ did on the cross. It's all, it's all there. Because you couldn't call him Father without it. We're calling him Father like the Lord called him Father, of which no Jew ever did that. He was the first. He's the first Jew to walk on earth calling Abba. God, Abba, Father. And they they hated him for it. He's making God his own father. And yet, he was the son of God. And he has made us children through his sacrifice. So we call God, Father. Sanctified be your name. Your kingdom come... And that's all that Luke says here. In Matthew, it's your will be done on, in, on earth as it is in heaven. But your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. So by the time we get to the third petition, uh, no, the fourth, by the time we get to the fourth petition, we're, now we're praying for ourselves. So the first petitions are about God himself, and then we get to us. And the, the give, us our, give us each day our daily bread is wonderfully genius. We're seeking to God, from God what we need. And to, be, you know, to know that God is going to provide those needs. But bread is just enough to survive. And, he's, and so this, this removes completely, make me rich, make me famous, make me beautiful, make me whatever. Bread, give me what I need. And then he says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I just, I adore how short this is in Luke. (laughs) I mean, I prefer Matthew's because it's longer, and I think everybody does, but, uh, you know, as far as Luke's account here, and it really does include everything that Matthew has. It's just Matthew has a little bit, Extra, which you know is nothing like of a different uh, kind, you know, where he says your kingdom come. If you say, well, he didn't say your will be done, but what does kingdom mean when God is the king? 
yeah, I mean, his will is going to be done. Nobody's going to be in his kingdom who's not doing his will because he's the king. So, in any way. Now, a, a point on the forgiveness part. Jesus obviously understood that we would all be taught that all sin would be forgiven of all believers. All of us are in Christ. All of us have died with Christ and risen with him. All of our sins are completely washed away. I personally do not see a problem keeping the wording of this prayer, this instructional prayer, if we understand that we are not being forgiving because we asked for it. If someone thinks that Jesus is saying, you know, if I don't ask God in prayer, he's not going to forgive me, that would be a false doctrine according to the rest of the scripture. But we sin every day, and this is a reminder of that. Every day we add to our debt to God. Uh, and that's actually in, in the scripture that sin is also listed as a debt. We have a debt before God by breaking his law time and time again. However, and especially in Colossians 2, the debt that we have against God has been nailed to the cross and therefore taken away. Jesus knew that we would know this. And so... I don't see any reason, but if you want, if you don't want to say forgive us our sins and just say we confess our sins or I confess my sins, even though I don't know half of them that I've committed, um, that's fine. You know, it doesn't. It, it, it means the same thing as long as you know you're completely forgiven by the grace of God through the blood of Christ. So forgive us again. It's a command, plural. Sins is plural. But a, a different word is used for our forgiveness of others. And it's the same word that Matthew uses. Notice it is, forgive us our sins, our sins, and we forgive others of their debts. It's a different Greek word. And it's a debt. Right? So whoever, so we would say here, for we ourselves, and again it's emphasis on us, we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And this is genius. Somebody might sin against us and say, well, yeah, what do I care? But then another person sins against us, and man, does it get under our skin. It could be the same sin. <laughs> but because it's someone you don't really care about, it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother you that much. You say, can you forgive them? Oh, sure. You know, I don't really care about them. They could fall down a ditch for all I care, or they could, you know, live happily ever after. I don't, I don't care. But you know, when it's someone, it, there are cases where people are in debt to you. And what do we want as human beings if someone's in debt to us? We want payment. We want payback. And here. Again, in the same way, uh, the Bible, a sin is seen as a debt to God. It is a list of, uh, a, um, how's it? in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, the decree of debts against God, that list of debts against God that all of us have against God was nailed to the cross and taken out of the way. And as Paul writes in Ephesians, in the same way as God has forgiven us in Ephesians 4, we ought to forgive one another. And so uh, Jesus here really, uh, you know, he, he takes all, it's just so simple that there's no way we can mess it up if we just take his words. We sin against him every day. 
Forgive us our sins. We know we're forgiven. But thank you. We say thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. It, it draws us to the grace of God and thank Him for that, to adore Him for that, uh, to, to take away the guilt that I may have from past sins, which a lot of us will have. That can be taken away here because I know I'm forgiven and I'm cleansed and I, I have the freedom to be completely confident before God and I must forgive others of their debts against me. And then, he says, lead us not into temptation. Uh, Deliver us from the evil one is what Matthew has at the end. Uh, Luke doesn't include it, but he doesn't have to because there's a word here that's used. And this is the key to figuring out this very uh, difficult prayer, the part of the prayer, which is this difficult petition. Which is, you know, why would God lead us into temptation anyway? In fact, the Catholic Church has comp- officially changed the line. They, they took the language out of the Bible and they changed it because they said, look, you know, God can't lead us into temptation. I forget exactly what they did, but they changed the scripture to make it a little more palatable to people when they read it. Uh, <clears throat> rather than, t- you know, if we want to take all the difficult statements of the Bible and make them easier, I guess that's one way to go. Or we could really pray about them, learn them over and over, meditate on them, and try and figure them out. And that's far better. We'll learn more in the process. There's two words for temptation or testing in the Bible. One is perasmas, which is used here, and it's Almost always, and I, I think actually in every situation, there might be one outlier, but out of the 20-something times this word is used, it's always used for temptation from the devil or from the flesh. There's another word for testing, which is a word we've, you've heard me speak for a while, you know it, it's dokimazo. And dokimazo also means testing, but dokimazo is exclusively used for God's testing of us. And this, the New Testament translated some both temptation or testing. And they're two different words. Now, they're synonyms, yeah. And if they're used interchangeably, and we can't use this as a way to figure out this passage, but parosmos is used almost, I think in every case, for testing from Satan, dokimazo, testing from God, and parosmos is used here, which links it perfectly to Matthew's ending, lead us not in temptation and deliver us from the evil one. The evil one is Satan. Satan is the one in view here. Don't lead us. This is what the petition is. It's brilliant, actually. Lead us not into the temptation of the devil. So the petition here is for us to follow God's lead. Lead us, right? That means follow. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. The petition is for us to follow God's lead. And when we follow God's lead, even though the temptations of the flesh are always with us, and the temptations of the devil are always somewhere, if we're following God's lead, we're not going to fall into places where we're going to be vulnerable. Now, if we could follow God's lead every waking moment, we'd never have to worry about a thing, actually. 
Not that we have to worry. But we never fall into uh, pits of sin. But none of us do it perfectly. But what's stated here, and this is why we have prayer for it, because none of us do it perfectly, we need help. How often do we say, God, in this situation, lead me on your path so I don't fall into the path that's going to get me falling into the temptation? Because temptation doesn't work when we're strong. Right? Just the, the, lure, the lure on the fish hook, the worm on the fish hook does not tempt the fish who's not hungry. It's when we fall into vulnerable places that Satan gains power over us. He's seeking someone to devour. And so here, God will not test us beyond what we're able. That's dokimazo. Right? In other words, God tests us when we're sufficiently strong because he desires for us to pass the test. And when we pass the test with God, we learn more about him. And we rejoice in our victory and we see our new strength and we know him more. And that's what God wants for us. But that's not the word that's used here. What's used here is for the temptation of the devil. What does the devil want to do for us? Crush us. He wants to crush us. All right, don't forget in our learning on the uh, armor of God, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Uh, what the, the schemes of the devil are designed to knock us over spiritually. So uh, we know that temptation is always lurking, but we don't always fall for it. When we do not fall for the temptation of sin, when do we not? When we're strong. How are we strong? When in our understood weakness, we understand that we are completely dependent upon God. And so we clothe ourselves with Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Therefore, one way of looking at this final petition is that we desire God's necessary testing, but we desire to avoid the devil's testing. Lead us, Father, but not into, we don't want to go into the place of weakness. And we say, well, wait a minute, God's not going to lead us to the place of weakness. I, I know that. That's what you're petitioning for, that you follow him. And when you follow him, you don't go to the place of weakness. You go to the place of strength. When you follow him, you have the high ground against the flesh and the devil. doesn't mean you're not going to fail ever, but when you follow him, you're strong. And that's what the petition is. Lead me, Father, so that as I'm following you, I am sufficient that the devil's temptations are powerless and ineffective. God's leading, if we follow it, will not put us in vulnerable places where the temptations of the devil will have significant advantage over us. So the devil always prowls, but the question is, in the battlefield of life, which is in the soul, do we have the high ground or not? And I mean at this moment, because we only live one day at a time. When Satan has the upper hand over us, does it seem like God is near or far? God always seems far. It depends on how long we're in the sin, whatever the sin is. Like all of us as sinners, we can you know, truly recover quickly. It's really a confession. Father, forgive us our sins. Or if you will, uh, I confess my sin. Uh, I recognize my sin. I confess it. I change my mind or I repent and I'm away from it. You know, I, I'm not thinking on it. I'm not thinking of it. 
But um, for periods when I'm under Satan's thumb, God seems far away. So, getting back to our first passage today. God said, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, if I command the locusts to devour the land, if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that's repentance, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And this picture of Israel, as now we take that picture, is very similar, as you can see here, to uh, our own soul. And that we have in this prayer, not only the confession of sin, but the desire not to fall into it. All right. So, if you're following God, again, focusing on the last petition, if we're following God's leading consistently, and we seek it, you'd know you'd seek it if you're praying for it. Show me, Father. I I, have... Every theology class, I had a theology class this morning, and every class begins with prayer. We always open up with prayer. Actually, so does my Greek class. And uh, my professor in the theology class uh, said something to the effect, after I had had a bad thought in my my mind, of course, that only I and God knew, that uh, (coughs) he said something uh, concerning the fact that, Father, help us, lead us, teach us not to... Uh, you know, have the thoughts in our minds that are going to hurt us or turn our eyes from you. And that was right after I had some kind of thought that turned my eyes from him. And uh, and I thought, wow, you know, how often do I pray that? And it was a little flare from God to saying, Joe, why don't you pray for this? I'm too busy? What, you can't take 10 seconds to say that? I mean, if you truly desire it, and you're seeking God and saying, you know, in whatever situation, you know, lead me in the paths of righteousness. We'll see them in the Psalms. They're all like that. The prayers in the Psalms. Whether they're, you know, there's a lot that are praising God. There are a lot of lamenting, like God when. There's a lot, there's a lot of those. But there's also a lot of, you know, God, I seek your face. Lead me in righteousness. I know that you bless your righteous ones. I know that you uh, have, you know, blessing and prosperity for me as I follow you. Lead me. There's tons of them. If we're following God's leading consistently day to day, how could we not come to know him more and more? How many days go by where we have completely wasted, where we're following, I don't know, just ourselves? Meaning that, well, I said, well, I followed the road to work. That's what I do. I go to work, or I, you know, and then I came home, and then I followed the living room to the kitchen and had dinner, and then I followed the the linoleum to the bathroom, and then I went from the bathroom to the TV room, and then I went, you know, and I'm following life. Now, the exact same person could follow all that path. Unto the Lord. And it would make a grave, a great difference. And now, if I'm, you know, we call that, a, this book I'm reading about that called uh, Compartmentalized Life. 
I have my morning home life and my work. Well, the, there's my commuting life, which if you've been commute, if you've commuted, well, I did for years. I still do now. The ride to and the ride from are different. It's the exact same road, same concrete and metal, but same car. But going to work after you're done with work is a whole different mindset. Morning home and evening home, different mindset. Morning bedroom, evening bedroom, different. It's different. And, you know, what if I don't care about the people that are in the work, in the home, family, co-workers? What if I don't, you know, what if I only care about getting through with the least amount of discomfort and pain and bother? And, you know, what, so what is that? I'll, what I want to do is get through life because I want me to be as comfortable as possible, or whatever, whatever my dreams are that are about me. You know, generally when you're young, you have these super high dreams, and then you get middle-aged, and then the dreams are just, you know, I want to make it to work and home in a comfortable fashion. I don't want to be Superman anymore or an astronaut. I just want to be left alone. <laughs> There's my dream, right? And, and, and in that, what are you doing? You're just living for yourself compartmentalized life, just getting by day by day by day. If we're not constantly, consistently, I should say, following God's leading in everything that we do, even in regular life, then we won't come to know him. But if we are following him, we'll come to know him because we're using his truth with everyone and in every situation, no matter what they are. And you'll be shocked where God will lead you but even if he doesn't lead you outside of home, work, home, dinner, TV, bed, then still you can follow him in that place. If you keep putting yourself in vulnerable positions where Satan is able to knock you over, then you'll know God as deliverer. You'll know God as one who forgives because you'll keep recovering. You'll know one, God is one who forgives and God has one who restores. And that'll be about the depth of it. Will you know anything else about him to any depth? Well, I never really followed him. All, uh, you know, if our, if our Christian lives were be knocked over, God help, be knocked over, God help, be knocked over, confess, God help, and I repent, be knocked over, I confess, God help, I repent, and that's my Christian life. What, where, where's my understanding of the life that follows him, even when it's hard? And, and that's what we miss out on. So, and now Jesus is going to tell them to keep at it. So look at verse 5. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, it's, this is, all this is is an illustration that anybody would know. If I bother someone enough, they'll give me what I want. And so I say to you, and it will be given to you. So, sorry. Oh, so I say to you, ask. I forgot a very important word. 
So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. So, you know, too often the prayer and this are separated. And we don't read them in context. And, and when we don't put them together, we miss something about both of them. Why the persistence? Why the persistence in this prayer? Because it's, it's not stated about this saying any prayer. You know, it's not just about the bread. I mean, he just did reference, give us today the bread that we need for today. And then he says, you know, bug me for bread three times a day and I'll give it to you. No, that's not it. It's about the whole thing. Ask, seek, knock. In our first passage today, in Chronicles, we saw that you pray to me, God said, you will seek my face. In Jeremiah, pray to me, seek me with all your heart and you'll find me. And here we have pray. Our Father is in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he says, keep, then he uses a, a parable of repetitious pestering someone. <clears throat> so, is it that God needs to be reminded? Is it that God is forgetful that we have to keep asking him for things, for the same things? But it turns out that in our prayers, we're after the one thing, and it's him. You know, whether, as we stated before, whether we're praying for someone who's really sick, if they get healed or they don't, has no bearing on the... All it is is that that's God's will. You know, if they get healed or they don't, doesn't tell us anything about the plan of God. If I'm in a financial difficulty or if, say, a serious recession or depression does come upon our nation, as some have predicted, and we're all without you know, much. And I read an article yesterday that was a bit scary about bank runs and bank closures which almost happened in the UK just a little bit ago, um, that, uh, you know, what happens then? And it all comes down like a hammer when that happens. Right? All the Great Depression of the 30s, there was another one in the early, uh, sorry, late 1800s. It comes down fast when people aren't expecting it because we're just all going about our lives. And we pray, we all pray for our financial deliverance. So what if God doesn't? What if we die in poverty? Does that say anything about the plan of God? No, other than that God is sovereign. But what is true about all of this, whether I'm seeking his deliverance, I'm seeking his deliverance for someone else, I'm seeking to find a way to truly thank him that means something or to adore him that's not just words, but from my heart I really adore him and thank him. All of that is seeking him. And so, right, as it says in Psalm 105, glory in his holy name, let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Do you know many prayers are like this in the Psalms? There's so many. There's dozens of them. Seek him. Be glad in him. Rejoice in him. Seek him. Glory in his name. What are we after? 
I know I'm a minute over, but jump back. There's, there's no coincidence that Mary and Martha in Luke 11 are right before this. Go back to Luke 10, 41. This helps it make more sense, even though I'm a minute over. Luke 10, 41. Martha, Martha, you are so worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. And Mary has, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus says, one thing is necessary. Just one. And what is it? Well, it's not what Martha, Martha wants. The kitchen clean and the dishes served and the dinner perfect. And coming out, everybody's plate is perfectly cooked and warm. And the dinner is a great hit. And that's what Martha wants. And he says, Martha, you are very worried. Now, it's a very good thing to put, if you're serving dinner to a number of people at a dinner party, if you can get all cooked perfectly and warm, good for you. But is that what is necessary? And not even at a dinner party, really. It's about what we share with one another. Right? But in essence here, what is the one thing he's speaking of? Mary would not help Martha because Jesus was in the house speaking. And Martha went and sat at his feet to listen. Why did she want that? Because she wanted to know him. She didn't care about whatever was cooking. She cared about knowing him. And throughout the scripture, this bears it from Genesis to Revelation. What is the one thing that God wants for mankind? For you to know him. And therefore, walk with him. Live with him. Rejoice with him. Be glad in him. Share in his glory. Uh, obey Him, submit to Him, pray to Him, communicate with Him. It's all seeking Him. And that is the one thing. So, Jesus gives us the prayer and He says, keep praying it. Just like the guy who's nagging his neighbor for bread. Keep doing it and doing it and doing it over and over and over. Because what you're after here is not healing and money and all of that. Though I understand you need those things and I'll give them to you. I'll give what you need. But what you're really after is me. In your prayer life, you're really after me. And that's why it's a lifelong thing. And if we understood the depth of the Lord's Prayer, all the, people, all the greats who write about this prayer say that you spend a lifetime understanding all that's in here, even though it's so very small. Because it's got things like God and Father and redemption and... God's providence in giving us what we need, God's forgiveness. So that has all to do with the cross and the blood of Christ and uh, the devil and temptation and God's testing is in this where he tests our strengths because he wants us to be uh, you know, successful and we have the devil who wants to destroy us. And so in that, uh, you have the, the conflict, the angelic conflict or the spiritual war. Uh, the God's kingdom, which is the end times that is coming, but which I am a member of now. And God's will <clears throat> that is not here on earth, but it can be in my heart. And one day, earth will be under all of God's will. And <clears throat> that's just for starters. Everything you pray is in there. And that's why we do it repeatedly. So where do we find a heart to pray? That's what I started with. I know, now I'm way over. I'll just go for another hour. <clears throat> Where do we find the heart to pray? By knowing these truths and knowing this prayer that Christ gave us that is not hours long. Yeah? 
You don't even have to concentrate on all of it, just a part of it. You have time for prayer, no matter what is going. And I can't think of the words. You got the words. He said, say this. You have the words. It's short. It's to the point. We can find the heart to pray and build the habit to pray. Now I'm done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have uh, continued to guide us in the way to pray, in the doctrines. And, and prayer reveals us to you, so we're seeking you. And in this doctrine, we will learn more of you. Uh, we thank you, Father, for the open door and the open throne by which we can approach with boldness. We ask in Christ's name, amen. No, no.